0: All Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, and financing. I mean, they raise quite a bit of money, but what they're doing is pretty remarkable. You know, they're all about sustainability with their business. You know, our founder joining us today, he's also a young global leader from the World Economic Forum. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to be talking about everything that you can think of. And then also, you know, his journey is quite inspiring. So without further ado, Let's welcome our guest today, Richard Edo. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Alejandro. Hi, everyone.
0: So originally born in Austria, but uh, you were, you know, on the countryside, you know, more than anything. So uh, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: Sure. I was lucky enough to grow up on a farm outside of Salzburg. My mother um, sort of has also some forest uh, there. And it was great to grow up there. But uh, I was lucky enough that my father also has a business in Vienna. So at the age of 10, I was uh, sort of uh, moving to the city. Uh, And then my parents also thought that English is an important asset to have. And so I went to an American international school. And so that really opened my scope onto uh, what the world could be.
0: Now, obviously, in this case, you had the lens of seeing what the world could be you also had your father you know having his own business too so i guess two questions here that come to mind right away is what do you think opened up by being in a international school right away you know having that world view and then also having your father you know also a businessman you know someone that you could see someone that you could see the ups and downs too of uh, you know the business you know uh positives and negatives what was that for you
1: yeah, obviously, my, my, my father had a business um, that was very successful advising pension funds. Um, but he then also dabbled into sort of investments and then sort of uh, bought various things that didn't work out at all. So at an early age, I was uh, part of helping him look at how to restructure a fitness studio, um, also how to help close it down. So that was really some early uh, neg- negative experiences there. But uh, it also showed me that if you do it right, what it can be. And so that sort of uh, always sparked my interest in entrepreneurship. Um, I originally wanted to study in the U.S., in Stanford. and um, But then I decided to study in Switzerland. My father also studied in Switzerland, despite being Austrian. And uh, originally I wanted to study mathematics, like my father, who is a professor, doctor in, in mathematics. But I'm not that good at gifts with my sisters, um, with my sister and my brother. Um, and so I studied in French uh, entrepreneurship in Fribourg. And that's also where I met my co-founder today, and but also more important, at the beginning, my mentor. And he sort of really um, moved me onto the topic of entrepreneurship and values. And so I joined an, an initiative he did uh, to found an institute that promotes entrepreneurship, value-based entrepreneurship, called IVE, which I helped to build up onto 10 universities. More than 3,500 students have attended those courses, financed mostly by entrepreneurs, And also those that gave back in those
0: courses. And when you study entrepreneurship, what do you study?
1: Well, it was called business management, but I sort of turned it into my own entrepreneurship program. Sort of what I thought that would be needed uh, in the future. For example, in my original curriculum, there was very little marketing. So I really forced myself to find uh, marketing courses that were in other domains, for example, in the psychology department of the university (laughs) um, and other areas.
0: Now, in your case, you know like after after university, it was time to get to work. I mean, obviously you you did help them too with building their a, institute that they had for founders, and that also gave you the opportunity of not only having free dinners but then also meeting some of the top uh, leaders there. I mean what what were some of the things that you got from being able to engage and interact with people of those caliber?
1: Sure. So we organized next to the courses how to build business plans. Also, dinners um, are actually at first a sort of a speech by by the top uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs in Switzerland. So some of them were really the exciting ones are actually the smaller organizations, uh, sometimes family-owned businesses, but they were the true champions in their domain. For example, one company is one of the leaders in installing ski lifts. And so this person was telling how do you uh, install ski lifts, for example, in Brazil onto the Cocovado, or how do you build ski lifts in Tehran, in um, Iran, for example. So really a diverse field, and also sort of gave an insight into what it what it means to lead a, a global organization, whether that's only a two hundred person organization or a thousand people. But then also it was the larger organizations at a thousand plus. And so I was lucky enough to that one of the uh, dinners, my first employer was there. He was the incoming CEO of a Swiss stock-listed but family-owned manufacturing company, and I was able to join him as an assistant. But it turned out I was not such a good assistant. And so (laughs) I got sort of the first task was find out how we can contribute to this organization. So I got a lot of freeway into the organization, into identifying what could really benefit the organization. And we identified that lean manufacturing was really something that could move the company forward. I initiated the project, and it saved 120 million Swiss francs over the course of the project. And then I wow. got a phone call.
0: And that is the phone call from your co-founder, no? At, uh, yes. What you're doing now with uh, skyso So tell us what happened on that phone call.
1: So Nico uh, and I stayed in touch. We were not that close over a couple of years, but he gave me a call and said... Uh, Uh, He wanted to talk, and because he had an idea, he's a civil engineer, and he did a management buyout of a civil engineering firm that he repositioned onto building very large structures, mostly pharma plants in Switzerland. And he said, these large structures, you know, they're badly insulated, and also nothing is sustainable. Why don't we team up uh, you with your manufacturing insights, and we design the first sustainable high-performance insulation material. And so we, we sat together and said, yeah, this could work. Ironically, this uh, is manufactured on partly my old employer's machines. So sort of, yeah. there is a reason uh, why he picked me. And um, we pitched then for, for one of the big pharma guys in Basel, Switzerland. And they said, well, that's all nice. But could you design us a new packaging to transport our pharmaceutical products? And that became the journey into Skyset.
0: So, I mean, it's a big, uh, big deal for you, no? Because here you are in a, you know, stock listed uh, company. And uh, obviously, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the safety net that you have there. I mean, I'm sure that saying, hey, you know what? I'm just going to give my notice and, and go at it, you know, into the unknown. I mean, was that a tough decision for you?
1: No, it wasn't because I was fired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make a
1: lot of friends because uh, I, I think at the time I was 25 um 25 26 and i initiated one of the most important projects that brought in significant amount of savings but it had also impacted the way the organization did a lot of things from purchasing production etc and all of a sudden this 25 year old comes along and changes the way all these 40 50 year old guys were doing stuff and obviously that, that i didn't make a lot of friends it produced a lot of savings so i got a nice bonus and so uh after some uh sort of really Uh, difficult moments, uh, I I sort of uh, saw the opportunity and then joined Nico on that idea.
0: So then tell us, what were the early days like at SkyCell?
1: Well, the first two years were pure R&D. So uh, we had to figure out to design a completely new way of doing insulation. So insulation materials, uh, two-minute x course is a random material. So it's a foam or a fiber pressed into a format and usually used for buildings, but also insulating trucks, etc. So my co-founder had the idea, what if we do a structured approach to this? So it's not a fiber, but it's and it's not a foam. So we had to create sheets that we would form into certain structures, hence the machines of my previous employer. And um, with a special nano coating we had to develop, otherwise it wouldn't work. So we had to develop a lot of things. We had a lot of setbacks, but we were also quite lucky that um, some of the things were just made possible at that time. So we developed a nano coating that reflects 96% of radiation. And so we can uh, reflect visible and invisible light. And this is part of the magic of our technology. And that would have not have been possible if certain machines would not have been developed at that time. And so it became affordable. We brought down the production cost from a thousand dollars per square meter all of a sudden to 70. And all of a sudden it became even feasible to do what we wanted to do.
0: For the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of SkyCell? How are you guys making money? Yeah.
1: So we're not doing insulation for buildings anymore. We decided we will go all in and we will design uh, packaging for the pharma industry specifically to help them transport temperature-sensitive products. And so pharma products, why are they so temperature-sensitive? Because it's almost like a living organism that sleeps at specific temperatures. So it's like milk. But the problem is with pharma, it's usually clear, see-through liquid. You can't tell optically or the smell that something is broken. So the temperature around that product is critical for two aspects. One is the so-called efficacy, the performance. And the second aspect is the shelf life. And so the pharma companies have proved not only to themselves and their ethics, but also to the regulators that whatever they manufacture, store, and transport has the full efficacy, but also the shelf life. Now, what had changed 12 years ago is the pharma industry started to transition from a chemical industry, like an aspirin, to a biological industry, so like cooked in big tanks over weeks and months. So it became a lot harder to make these drugs, but they are extremely effective. All of a sudden, we are able to cure cancer we were never able to do. We're able now to do diabetes drugs, so the latest generation of weight loss drugs. That's all biologics as an example. And before, we were not able to do that. But the, the flip side of that coin is very difficult to manufacture, very difficult to store, very difficult to transport. Hence, a new solution was required. And that was the opportunity we seized with SkyServe.
0: So then as you were doing all this uh, R&D and looking into it, looking at ways of, of really bringing the solution to market, what was, what was that point where it was like a turning point event where... Finally, you guys bring this to life and you're like, I think we're into something here.
1: Yeah. So third year into the project, uh, we, we had the first meetings. We had first prototypes made. We showed this to the pharma companies and we thought, wow, they're just going to rip this off the shelves. And this was unfortunately not the case at the beginning because pharma is ultra conservative. They would rather lose 2 to 5% of products per year than to switch to a new startup. So this is unfortunately something we we sort of didn't see coming. But we kept at it, and so we finished the product. We then started to show it at major fairs to potential customers. And then everyone was like, wow, this is really cool. Who else is using this? Well, we're just getting started. Okay, come back when you have three customers. And everyone kept saying that. It was ultra frustrating. And But we had this breakthrough moment when a Japanese pharma customer said, well, this is so much better. Let's test it. And they tested it, and it came out to be 20x better than their previous generation of packaging, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll put you into uh, every packaging above a million dollars. Now, that sounds like an insane amount of money, but a pallet of pharma is usually a million dollars plus now. Sometimes it's 10 to 15 million. So in essence, we have pharma companies transport their revenues from production sites to distributors around the world. And we obviously save a lot of money there.
0: I think that for you guys, obviously, COVID was a, was a really big moment you know why
1: yeah so everyone thinks covid was huge for us and yes we did our part we helped to transport 1.2 billion covid shots actually the raw materials of those covid shots um but actually that was the slowest growth of the company's history so that sounds crazy because we already did a lot of vaccines and all of a sudden the vaccine distribution went down because most countries didn't vaccinate their children the the elderly anymore against flu Because everything was focused on COVID. So we grew because we did these 1.2 billion shots. But um, the other business sort of was really slow. And so we only grew 20% during COVID. And now we're back to our 40 to 60%
0: growth per year. Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at Alejandro at and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So as you're thinking about uh, growing this, you need money. So how do you guys go about raising money? How much capital have you guys raised to date for the business?
1: So we've raised more than $220 million, uh, equity and then uh, we also have access to really cheap debts so in Switzerland. You didn't get any debt, or you get debt when you don't need it. So now we get debt at 3.2% interest, which is insane, uh, to, to get us a, a fast-growing company. And um, so that's how we grow our assets. So what's our business? So we manufacture this design of containers that we've made. These are air freight containers. And we rent them out to the global pharma industry. We rent it out as a service. They don't want to own it. They don't need to own it. Um, and we monitor how it's used. So it's a heavy user of software. And IoT. So in 2013, we noticed how, when we write this equipment out to pharma companies, how do they actually use it the right way? What if somebody screws that, this up? Um, usually pharma is made in the Western world, but shipped to more than 100 countries by air. How do we know that when something arrives in Brazil at Sao Paulo Airport, that it's and when it takes two weeks in customs, that it's stored the right way and that we can prevent spillage? Like this is the case with our major competitors. And so IoT and software became the key aspect here. And so I always joke, Sky is now an IT company that has hardware on the side because this IT has become such an important value. I just did some math here and we've probably invested more than two and a half million man hours into developing software. This is a key part of our organization.
0: Wow. So I guess uh, as you're thinking about the the structure of the organization. I know that sustainability, and as you were saying now, IT is a, a critical part of it. Why both of those aspects are are big pillars for you guys?
1: So when we decided to fund our business, we said we, we, were, we are strong believers that sustainability will be key to differentiate in the future. That's why we started to look into sustainable, uh, high-performance insulation material in the first place, because we believed at some point it will be business critical. If you're not, if you're a polluter, you will be out. And so that's what we believe. Ten years ago, it took a little bit longer than we expected. Uh, and to be fair, most pharma companies only started to kick into motion last year. But now, for some, actually, sustainability has become a hard fact. To give you an idea, ninety-seven um, percent of a CO two footprint of a pharma company is Scope three. So that means also that's massive, but it's also a massive potential to reduce. We on average reduce the CO2 footprint by 50%. So that's on average eight tons per use. So per pallet moved around the world, that's eight tons. And, um, to then further sort of bring it to zero, to zero, it requires only five cents, dollars, euros, five euro cents to bring it to a completely CO2 neutral supply chain. So that's very affordable and very little money. And when we were able to prove this to, to pharma companies, all of a sudden this moved it to the top pile of the whole organization. So we're talking to some pharma companies now that are saying, can we move half of all of our volumes in our containers? So that's really, really a change in direction.
0: And why is it so difficult to uh, do something like this with large corporations? And, and then also, how do you guys go about it?
1: Yeah. So pharma organizations, you know, they have 10, 20, sometimes 100,000 people working for them. Um, very risk-averse because everything is about not screwing it up because otherwise it could impact patients' lives. And so they would rather have a known risk of, let's say, 2 to 5% losses versus trying out something new. So when you do something, uh, you have to prove to them with a lot of data and a lot of, uh, I would say, also bought credibility. So, for example, the, the the organization exists of two kinds of people with a lot of gray hair, and that's with uh, salespeople, business development. They've worked with these pharma companies for sort of sort of ten plus years. They bring the credibility. They would not join an organization like us. They would put they would not put their career on the line. But the second part is the the, the sort of the young uh, entrepreneurial thinking, mostly engineers. They can actually develop then, the solutions that are, unfortunately, you have to be multitudes better than what is out there today. And so I think that's the winning formula: adding the gray hair and then also the. The, the young spirited and sometimes they don't even know that it was tried but didn't work before kind
0: of attitude. And 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 also I guess eh, when you're when you're working with um, you know with with these players when you are raising the money that you've raised to building the team you know obviously vision is a big one. No? Um, I guess as you're thinking about vision, if you were to go to sleep tonight. And you wake up in a world where the vision of SkyCell is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: So, interesting enough, um, when you look at my strengths pro- pro- profile, which is actually posted here on the wall, it says number one is futurist. So, I feel very at ease living in the future and imagining actually how such a future looks like. I actually dream also about the future, which is sort of makes it very easy then when you wake up and sort of say, okay, that's what we're going to do. and um, That future has two aspects. One, we have proven to our customer that we are the most solution, with the most, the safest solution everywhere, and we've become the market leader. Uh, Today, we're the number three in the market, so that means becoming number one. I think it will take us another uh, four to five years until we're the clear number one. But the second piece is we can scale this technology in size. So today, we're moving pallets, so finished, semi-finished products, sitting on a pallet, moving into our containers, flying around the world. But we can bring this down to the size of your AirPods case, for example, or AirPods, whatever you're using, and we can transport one vial. Imagine you're going to the pharmacy, you're picking this temperature-sensitive product, whether that's um, uh, uh, heart medication or whether that's a weight loss drug. You're picking that up. How do you then actually go on vacation? Because I made a lot of effort to bring it to you to the pharmacy, but on, all of a sudden you bring it home in a plastic bag. So we think that there's a missing link and The question is how do we help patients um, bring this on vacation? How do they go on business trips? Because there will be more medication like this that you take on a very frequent basis and uh, temperature unfortunately affects the performance uh, and it could even kill you if it's not within the temperature range.
0: And what about the, uh, the industry as a whole? Where do you think the industry is heading?
1: So we're lucky that our industry is expanding massively. So we're experiencing massive growth of 15-20% per year. Um, so that means in absolute numbers from $2.5 spent to $5.5 billion spent on coaching, packaging. Now, 70% of that today is throwaway solutions. So I think all these throwaway solutions, they will be replaced. If not by me, then by my competitors. So that's a massive market opportunity.
0: How would you say that also, you know, like getting nice recognition, like becoming a young global leader? With the World Economic Forum, how do you think that all this stuff, you know, like gives you kind of like awareness and, and exposure? You know, I'm sure that was pretty wild to, to get that.
1: Yeah, I, I, we, my company's council is very lucky that we were recognized in our contribution in, on the COVID-19 vaccination campaign. So, so we were selected to become um, global innovators, part of the World Economic Forum. So they select around 100 companies every year that really can contribute to big causes. Uh, at that time, there was um, vaccinations. And uh, so that got us into the Global Innovator Program. Today, the focus of that program is also on sustainability. How can we make green cement? How can we make green steel? So these are the companies that are now following us on this program path. But I was also lucky that I'm below 40. I was asked to join the uh, Young Global Leaders Organization. So every year, also roughly 100 people are selected um, that the forum invests a lot of time and resources to educate, give resources, how we can help other companies or governments uh, to do better.
0: So imagine, you know, we were talking about to the um, the future earlier. I want to talk about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection. Imagine if I was to put you into a time machine, you know, right around that point where you were receiving the call from your co-founder and friend. And let's say you had the opportunity, right, when you hung up the phone and and you were pumped about, you know, doing something about this, you know, imagine you were able to just stop your younger self right there on the spot and say, hey, Richard, have a seat. And you're able to give that younger Richard one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Actually, it's always not good to know the future because then all of a sudden you tell, if I had known that this takes 10 years to become successful, I may have done something differently. So sometimes it's good also not to know that it will become difficult. Um, But what I would have done differently, I think we would have been more thoughtful on selecting our first investors. Because at the beginning, beggars can't be choosers, so we picked any kind of investor we could find. But at a certain level, it's very helpful if you have well-connected investors. And so that's definitely something I would do differently today.
0: And how do you go to? I mean, you 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 were saying that you're a, a, a futurist, so you're really living into the future, and obviously that's a strength. But on the other end, you know, as you said, it takes time. You know, it took you guys ten years. You know, as you were saying, but how do you deal with the frustration, perhaps, of uh, you seeing the future by you seeing that you're not there yet? What does that look like?
1: I think that's an excellent question, and. It really helps if you have a co-founder if you I think I have a lot of respect for founders that are alone because they need to get that support, that emotional support either from within the organization, from investors, board members, or but also family and I have to say I'm really lucky that I have a co-founder here that I was able to share that burden with because obviously there were very difficult moments in time um, unfortunately, also a lot of times related to fundraising in the early days when it was difficult to find investors or they would not pull through on, on terms. Um, so that was big, difficult at the, at the beginning. And obviously, uh, for, I'm also very lucky that my wife is a very supportive and she's also a founder and a CEO today of her own company. And uh, so she so sort of she gets it and she always supported me in the right way.
0: That's amazing. So Richard, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh,
1: reach out on LinkedIn. Or if you have my email address uh, then obviously i'm happy to 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 help um i sort of uh, invest time into giving back into fa- helping fellow founders sort of tackle difficult questions um I, one of my bigger hobbies has become sales marketing and fundraising so on fundraising obviously i've developed a certain methodology so i happy to to pass that along
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Richard, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you, Alejandro. And thanks, everyone. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business,